Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Welcome to another episode of Thinking Reimagined, changing the global mindset for a better global society. Today's topic is the role of philanthropy in sustainable development, and I am pleased to be joined by an esteemed panel of entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, catalyst for change. As we all know, impact investment, innovation, partnerships, collaborations, engagement are very critical to us to attaining sustainable development. The OECD estimated in 2021 that $11 billion was raised for sustainable development. And no surprise, East and West Africa were the major beneficiaries. Most of the SDGs that were highly um, impacted by this private funding was good health, or where I should say, where good health, partnership, no poverty, gender equality, and reducing inequality. Today, we're going to look into how we can increase and improve social impact through social investment, but most importantly, so that we can scale the level of implementation on the African continent. I've often said on this platform that the UN reports that of the 55 countries that are identified as underdeveloped, 33 of them are on the African continent. Nifemi, thank you for joining us. Welcome again to another episode. And how are you today? Terrific, I'm terrific, Dr. Amma. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you are. Uh, let me also uh, very warmly welcome our panelists. Uh, Dr. Thomas done justice introducing uh, what we're talking about on this episode, uh, which is philanthropy and the role it's played, or that the role it should play in sustainable development. Uh, philanthropy has played, no doubt, a huge part in our development. Uh, Dr. Ama, in the past, the we've talked about the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations and the huge role they, they played in the Green uh, Revolution, which of course was one of the greatest technological successes uh, of the 20th century. Today on the news, we mentioned a lot about the Gavi Alliance and how it's immunized some 65 million children with the help of a large donation from Bill and Melinda Gates um, Foundation. So every single day, we see philanthropists working with civil society, governments and businesses to find solutions to some of the world's biggest problems. It's hard to tell if these problems are you know, significantly being solved anyways. But um, it's important that by the end of this podcast, we are able to see philanthropy differently from just a source of money uh, to what I believe should be an avenue to champion a more long-lasting uh, development 
around the world. Let's welcome Lydia John, who is founder of Lydia and Adikabe Foundation. She's passionate about children and youth empowerment, an award-winning actor known for her role as Adura in the Hoshem Net series and Princess Yuri in the presently airing Blood of Enogie series by Rock Studios. A foundation I understand has successfully impacted about a thousand children and families through uh, educational support, shelter, and food aid. The Lydian John Scholarship has also uh, uh, reached out to about 80 beneficiaries. Lydian, thank you for joining us again on the podcast. Thank I, you so I much. I'll but the, see, forgive the way I'm pronouncing the names. Just um, try to correct me <laughs> once, once your mic is on. Olapeju is a seasoned business leader, filmmaker, sustainability professional who's keen, uh, who has keen interest in women empowerment, access to quality education and better healthcare, as well as youth development. She currently oversees all operations and initiatives at the Stellan One Foundation, a social change vehicle focused on tackling, uh, focused on tackling the root causes of poverty in Nigeria. Olapeju, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nifemi. Thank you for having me. I like your voice is very, you know, I'll find a perfect adjective before the end of the podcast. Fabian Ogube. I, I am sure that you will find the perfect adjective. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I, will, I will. Fabian was executive director of Women in Successful Careers. She's currently consulting on women's rights, women's leadership and empowerment projects through a social impact platform, the Adaba Initiative. Uh, while she's also working on gender policy, philanthropy, and programs design. Fabian, good to have you join the podcast today. Thank you so much, Nifemi. It's actually Fabia. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Fabia. for having me. What about the other name? How is it pronounced? Ogumekon. 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 Are you not a Yoruba man? <laughs> I'm the crossover Yoruba person. I'm actually from River State, so it's Ogumekon. Ogumekon, yeah. I'm a global citizen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Nifemi. Very good. Because I was going to say to Fabia, just because you have a Yoruba sounding name does not necessarily mean that you understand the language well enough to pronounce names. There's an assumption that's sometimes made. So we will forgive Nifemi. But I'm really excited today. And I actually want to highlight... Um, the Sterling One Foundation, because I was fortunate, like Fabia, to be invited to the Sterling One Foundation um, recent summit. Thank you very much, um, Olak Beju. I know I call you Beju sometimes, but I think you like Olak Beju better. Do you Do you have a preference? No, I think I'll allow you to call me what is most convenient for you. Well, I like both names. I, I well, shall we have to call it properly, is Olak Beju. Oh, oh, there you yeah. go, Nifemi. Nifemi retrieved himself. This is Nifemi. Let me also quickly introduce our co-producer, Peter Amon Boyle. He's an we actor, must. filmmaker, art director, and co-producer of the Think and Reimagine podcast. It's fondly called uh, Uncle Peter. Good to have you join us, Uncle Peter. <laughs> Uncle Good, afternoon, Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Think and Reimagine. And today's podcast is really interesting because we're looking at philanthropy, both in the large corporations and in the micro corporations. So it's going to be a good one. And if you're joining us on live stream, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, be sure to drop a comment or questions. And 
we will address it. Thank you all for joining us. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Uncle P. Dr. Ama is entrepreneur, educationist, behavioral consultant, and resilience coach. She's the immediate past chairperson of the British Business Group Nigeria and currently chairs Africa Sustainable Trade, which she co-founds, just in case you don't know. All right, let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps you can take us through your journey of philanthropy. Uh, what inspired your work in this area and how uh, significant um, impact you think it's making thus far? Who wants to go first? I wonder, like, where do you to start this conversation? Because as I said briefly earlier, you know, Fabian and I had the, the absolute pleasure of being at the Sterling One um, Summit, you know, what, a month ago? Is it up to a month already? Probably is. Yeah. And I, I was really taken by the intentionality of social impact and the partnership, you know, um, What's his name? The gent- Matthias from the UN has always That's indicated smiley. that. That is smiley. Thank you. You know, I heard him speak very eloquently about when you look at the sustainable goals that, you know, you've got reds and orange on many of these goals. But the one that is most prominent is partnerships. And that is one of the things that I found very telling at um, the summit, which you just successfully held. And I know that education and health and agriculture, renewable energy and all of these things are are at the heart of what you do. Um, But I'm really curious as to um, not just how you started, as Nifemi mentioned, but how are you scaling after, what, two years or three years in it, given that we've had a pandemic and we're moving forward from that? Thank you very much, Dr. Ama. The conversation right now is about scaling. For us, um, and personally, for me, at, uh, personally as a Lakweji Bekwe, impact has always been something that has um, motivated me to action from when I was, right when, when I was a teenager. So I was privileged to have this opportunity that I currently have leading the Sterling One Foundation. And what was clear um, after we did our research and our assessments, was that we were really not moving forward at the pace we were supposed to be moving when it comes to achieving a sustainable development goal. And if you want to make impact, no matter how small, you have to ensure that you have all the relevant resources in the room. You also have to have the relevant structures and the relevant partnerships to ensure that you're able to achieve the impact the way you really want it done. And this was what formed and what um, birthed the Africa Social Impact Summit. Because if we have a goal to be achieved at 2030, it was obvious that we were really not going to achieve it if we're going at the pace at which we're going. Hence, uh, the bringing together of all the relevant players when it comes to the African social impact ecosystem, from the private sector to the public sector, to the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the social enterprise leaders. So it was clear that we had to bring the relevant players into the room for us to see how we can synergize and scale a a, a non-profit organization based in, I think, Yobe State, 
And they mentioned that just because of the Africa Social Impact Summit, they've been able to access a suite of Microsoft, Microsoft solutions at no cost to them till 2030 to 2033 for the next 10 years, for them to be able to kissen and scale the work that they're. Looks like we've lost our game. We'll probably have to um, get back yeah. to like in the course of this conversation. Uh, perhaps if um, Uncle P can send a message to get an alternative uh, to uh, internet source. So let's get to Fabia. I think Dr. Abba was asking you the uh, uh, what what your thoughts are when you hear philanthropy in sustainable development. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. Thank you very much. We're all a bit uh, croaky and recovering today. I also have a really bad cough, so I'm hoping that um, you know that doesn't become my interruption. But uh, thank you for the opportunity and. Um, yeah, so first of all, the Sustainable Development Goals are a fantastic, um, obviously, framework um, that had been set up by the UN to really, you know, um, in a targeted way um, in which, you know, we can all sort of manage um, our progressive development. And when I say we, I mean both from a country, at a country level, but even also at an individual lev level, and also from the perspective um, of organizations. So it presents a unique framework um, for executing um, development, um, uh, development initiatives, as well as mapping and ensuring a level of accountability. It also is unique because um, it's a uniform system in which, um, like I said, um, organizations, countries, and even at individual levels or small group charity levels can really track the work and the progress um, on our developmental journey. And in terms of accountability, it's also fantastic because it gives a timeline. Um, it sets timelines um, in which, so that it's, these are not things, you know, development has been happening. It's not like development started happening in the, you know, when the SDGs or prior to the SDGs, the MDGs were framed. But what it does do is create a sense of urgency um, and create, and, you know, helping to frame that urgency by way of a timeline um, that then helps us, you know, you know, set goals and helps us to sort of work towards something. And with the accountability mechanism of a reporting framework that enables us, you know, shape the actions that we take. So that's from a sustainable development goals perspective. Now, philanthropy um, at its base is really the, um, it's really the need to, or, or the, you know, the act of doing good, right? Um, I have a friend who calls herself the do-good advocate. And I think for me, there's no better way of framing what philanthropy means. It's really the act of giving. And um, it's interesting that this concept of philanthropy, in, you know, a lot of times when you do your research, it seems like philanthropy was something that came from the West, um, you know, and was given to, you know, to us. But in Africa, philanthropy is actually at the heart of who we are and what we do. So, of course, I'm sure everyone is familiar with the concept of Ubuntu. I am definitely, I think as Africans, you know, we have adopted and it's something that we can all relate to. And that is the nature of who we are as a society. And that is the nature of who we are as, as people and as humanity. 
Um, it's really about understanding that we can only make progress. It's not good enough if one person is doing well or, you know, a group of people or sections of society are progressing. And then there are other sections who are really downtrodden, um, not as lifted and going through so, you know, the various challenges that the SDGs articulate. So philanthropy then presents a way um, or rather, uh, should I say, in its modern shapings, um, in its modern shapings presents a way and a tool in which to move society forward. So I started off describing what I understand, um, you know, from a layman's perspective in terms of the SDGs and how they operate in real life and how philanthropy as a tool of giving can act as a catalyst um, for moving those goals along. Now, as you know, there are 17 um, goals, um, 17 various goals with uh, the seventh goal being partnerships and page two already sort of and I think that collaborations and partnerships again are at the heart of philanthropy because if I go back again to the very simple definition which I use to describe African philanthropy which is I am because you are it's in essence or by its very nature means that you cannot do it alone right you have to do it you have to make progress to make a dent or to even go far, you know, with that, uh, there's a common phrase that says, if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's really at the heart of philanthropy. So collaborations itself, I feel amongst the 17 development goals is actually where, um, you know, philanthropy sits. Of course, um, philanthropy is like in nature, it is about giving um, and at its uh, most uh, sophisticated form, it is charity. Um, but collective charity, collective giving, and it has um, systems change at its heart. So the difference between my everyday charity where I see poverty around me, the SDGs are in action with the man on the street or the young beggar, you know, woman on the street who's begging or the mother on the street who's begging, and I give 500 naira, 1000 naira. It's philanthropy and it's charity. But philanthropy in the sense of, um, in the sense that we use it is really about making systemic change and for systemic change to happen it involves collaboration it, it involves a joint effort it involves the coming together it requires a level of um you know the volunteering spirit but also beyond volunteering spirit systems change thinking the desire to actually want to see something move from just a temporary solution to a long-term solution and that is why, you know, um, organizations such as Stanley One Foundation and all the um, many, many, many organizations, and I'm sure we'll get to, you know, having conversations about our own philanthropy here because you made references to the Ford Foundation, the Gates Foundation, the likes of those who truly are, um, you know, you know, catalytic philanthropists and making catalytic change around the world. But even right here um, in Africa and in Nigeria, we have a significant number of organizations um, who are playing that role as um, catalysts, catalyzers, um, collaborators and enablers, um, bringing the entire ecosystem together to really enable that change happen. So I hope that I've also I've answered your question. Yes, you have, Fabia. And before I go back to Peju, um, if I'll just have a moment, you know, um, I know that philanthropy is about giving, but I think that the word that we're really trying to implement these days, because of the 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 um, the the implication of just giving, is that it's an intentional, impactful investment. I think that is very critical that we begin to see philanthropy as an intentional impactful investment so every time that you give 
every time that you set up a program, every time that you partner, there's intentionality, there's an investment, and you're looking for something as an outcome of it. Because if you're just giving for the sake of giving because you have it, then you're not expecting anything in return. And to make the type of change that we're pushing for, that we're advocating for, that the SDGs are asking for us to implement and sustain and scale, that we must begin to look at it as an investment. So I'm investing in you because I'm investing in myself and others. And with that type of a mindset change, we can actually scale. But I want to go back to Pedro because she was interrupted twice by the um, services and perhaps she can um, conclude what she was stating at the very beginning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Ama. Um, thank you for the opportunity. So what I was emphasizing is that we have already started seeing the results of the investment of the Africa Social Impact Summit. Just to take it from where you stopped. We've already started getting reports of various partnerships that have been birthed just because of that convening. And like we always say, the summit is not an event, it's a movement because the engagement post-event, I even think that this session today is one of the post-event engagements for the, from the Africa Social Impact Summit. Please correct me, Dr. Amai, if I'm wrong. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely exactly. correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the key takeaways is forming relationships and those relationships have to be actionable um, and move some move the needle forward because we're all stakeholders. Every single person is a stakeholder in this change in mindset. So it, exactly. it, it really is. And that's why I started off saying thank you for the opportunity for us to be there um, because here we are having another conversation related exactly. to related to it yes exactly. um lydia uh, did you want to say something else before we invite uh, no lydia please this is a discussion so um if you have something to say please just put your hand up you know with a signal or join the conversation right yeah i mean i'm taking notes i'm having an amazing time <laughs> i'm taking notes <laughs> so, i'm enjoying the conversation yeah so maybe until you get to my turn maybe when you ask then i'll put my hand there are the there are no turns you're free to speak oh, okay. Lydia. honestly please go ahead what did you want, want to, to add say, contribute um i want to say i'm totally inspired by the conversation this morning um this afternoon from the fact that you said philanthropy has to be seen as an intentional, impactful investment, you know, um, for it to be sustainable. And the conversation that occurred from the other meeting you had with um, the other foundation that brought about this. So it's like a seed is being planted and it's bearing fruit. And, you know, it's actionable and moving, moving the impact forward. And so it's just an amazing thing. And I, I love that I'm listening and I'm taking you know, some salient notes that I would definitely look through by the time I'm done with the meeting. So thank you. <laughs> so I, was I have to say this about Lydia very quickly. Lydia, um, the, the, the way we found Lydia, she became known to us, is there was a segment or a section of Nigeria, Lagos to be more specific, 
that had been destroyed and Lydia did some videos on that which um, were featured. Lydia, do you want to speak to that very quickly? Because that in itself was impactful because I did not know. And by watching those, it became apparent as to what occurred and the impact it had on the residents. So why don't you take a few minutes and speak to that, please? Okay, thank you very much. Um, so I have a foundation, Legion Abitibi Foundation, and we have our project, we call it Better You Initiative. Now, Sometime um, in July, yeah, July 27th, exactly that day, resident of Uroshoki in Ferry woke up to fireballs on their roofs, um, demolition happening, sudden de demolition by the state government, by the state government. And then apparently these people, they were not given prior warning that day that they were going to come. So. Even someone that I heard, someone that gave birth that morning, had to jump into the water with her baby when the fire was, you know, yeah, coming on her on her roof. And it's also alleged that a mother is mourning her her child that was in the house when that thing happened, her little baby. I was I've been asking them if they can find the person for me because I wouldn't even post it out there until I'm sure that it's a real story. Yeah. So what I posted was the aftermath when I got there, when I heard I got there because most of the family living around there are beneficiaries of my foundation, um, food aid, shelter aid, and scholarship. So, am I the only one here or is everyone else here? Okay, so we've lost her. Hopefully she'll be back shortly. I saw Kweju's um, reaction as she was speaking. Yes. Could not miss it, yes. Um, it, 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 it was literally, I wasn't aware of this. Here I am in, in this state and this was going on. And I said, now that's an example of an individual with a small micro um, organization and NGO going out there and bringing to light um, the plight of people um, who are definitely in that poverty line that we all talk about. I mean. Uh, the most recent figure said that Nigeria has about, was it 63 or 64% of people living in poverty. On the African continent is over 50%. We don't even have accurate data because we're not a data gathering culture. Um, but that in itself was very troubling. And to know that they were experiencing that and everyone else was around and not um, participating or trying to figure out how to deal with it. But um, I think she should be joining us shortly and perhaps you'll be able to um, share a bit more information. But again, can, this can is an opportunity. Me? Yes, okay, we can, sister. please go ahead. Sorry, the uh, internet. Okay, so I had, um, yeah, so it's the government that um, orchestrated that action. And it's a lot of people affected. It was an exodus, people, you know, carrying, what they could save out of their properties on their head, people sitting down on their on their bed on the streets. And some people, a lot of people that went to work that day without knowing that that was going to happen, came back to meet their houses on the floor, flats. They couldn't even save a pin. Yeah, they couldn't save a pin. Some that had businesses around there lost all their, you know, sort of livelihood and everything. So it was such a shocking and painful thing because even if, the government would in their own defense say oh they've been wanting them to leave that environment for years and all of that but people have used a life there over the years 
So if you're going to pick a day to demolish the whole place or set it ablaze, you should have at least informed them two days prior, five days prior, a week prior, or the day you're going to come. Not just people just sleeping and waking up and then there's fire on their, on, on their roofs. I, I was there some days ago, and one of the women that, that had her houses flat on the ground, her house flat on the ground, she was eight months pregnant when that thing happened. Now she, she just evacuated the baby because she lost the baby. You know, she was eight eight months pregnant. So in the in the she said she was sleeping when that incident happened with her children and all of that. They started running and you know all of that. Now, this is um, two weeks or so after the incident. She lost the baby because it was chaotic. It was extremely chaotic. People were jumping into the water to escape the fire. You know, it, it was just a terrible situation. And I I looked at it. It was a whole lot of work. Um, but I felt to myself that it was not impossible to achieve, even if it's one person were able to impact by just sharing the video out there and calling for aid for people that want to, you know, come in to help the families and all of that, because <laughs> it's a lot of work. I will not lie to you. I was traumatized for days. I can't even imagine eating all my property just in the split of a second, in a split second, you know. Um, it's a sad thing that happens. And I thank um, Uncle Peter for sharing the videos as well. And I made the videos, he took the videos and started sharing and all of that. Uh, I thank him for doing that because I think that's where you found me and I'm here now. <laughs> so, but we're, we've been doing, we've been trying our best to raise um, funds. Even for some of the women, I have to tell them that I can't assure you um, with, with the strength of what we have now in my foundation, I cannot assure you, all of you, houses. But I will do my best. I'll put the story out there. Maybe people that can help and, and help you with accommodation of all these um, small, smaller accommodations of 150,000 or 200,000 kind of accommodation, maybe we'll be able to find. But for now, let's see what I can do. If it's to just, where are you managing? Take this one and start something or whatever like one of the women um, that lost all her property i you know was speaking to her and she told me that her business she was selling chicken legs and she uses like six thousand naira to do the business and, and gain like two thousand naira every day but now everything was you know destroyed and all so i said okay take fifteen thousand naira start of something and in two days she started frying yam and you know fries and all of that yam and, and plantain and stuff and she told me that she started making 5,000 naira, you know, about 5,000 naira every day. So you realize that no matter how small you think the impact is, it is actually, you know, putting food on their table because at that time they lost everything. People lost money that they had inside their houses. People lost their everything. And these are people that ordinarily, they don't even have much in the first place. They are struggling. Some of them are washing clothes for 50 naira per clothes or 100 naira per clothes. You know, and you see them, they wash a, a bulk of clothes for 3,000 now with their backs breaking. But just for them to put food on their table or to send their children to school. And that's why we were able to inculcate some of their kids with our scholarship program. Because some of them don't even go to school because they don't have the money. They just sell on the street. So I said to myself, let's find a way to get people to support us and put them back in school. Now we're still handling that one and food aid and then they're homeless. You know, it's, it's, a lot of um, trouble in our hands, but there's nothing impossible for God to do, I believe. I must 
So I put the story out there and we've been getting support, though very skeletal, very, very skeletal um, because of the economic situation a lot of people would say or attribute it to. But um, I'm very hopeful that we can do more, you know, because we've already started something. So, yes. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And, you know, you raised a very important question and one that we should actually. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement and communication. Allied Empowerment thriving in a sustainable and value manner. Um, uh, address. Oh, Fabia, your hand was up. Go ahead, Fabia. I just noticed that you had your hand up before. I... Well, you said we could jump in. So I wanted to, before I, I, I you know, I forgot my point to contribute to, you know, oh, well, just to, obviously I, I'm very moved, you know, by, you know, Glida's story. And I actually hadn't heard this before. So, um, you know, very interesting. And I think what that just says to me, um, because we had made the point in terms of intentionality, um, you know, sometimes people, I don't think there's any giving really that um, is it, that is without intention. Uh, I guess sometimes intention is not necessarily long-term sense change, um, but there is often always that intentionality of wanting to do good. And I think that if we start at that very base um, in terms of, you know, breaking down what philanthropy is, um, it really helps to go a long way. It's really looking around you and being conscious um, of where you are in society and being conscious of your environment, um, you know, being present within your environment to, to hear and see, um, you know, when some of these things happen. And I would just wanted to also say that, um, you know, the fact that this incident was, you know, again obviously as a result of government action or government policy and all of that philanthropy not only plays a role in you know in mobilizing resources in terms of you know funding philanthropy plays a role in social advocacy right so when you think around the sustainable development goals in the you know at the center of doing good philanthropy plays that role of raising awareness um you know raising awareness and also so acting as, as an advocate, advocate. So, you know, just um, philanthropy's role, not just as a resource mobilizer, but also its role as an advocate and as, um, yes, as an advocate for, you know, ensuring and almost as a watchdog as well. And that third institution. So you've got private sector, um, you've got public sector and you have the, you know, the third sector in between and philanthropy though, um, you know, in its broader form uh, is the fertilizer. It's a catalyzer of resources across the three sectors, but it also, you know, sits in that middle where it also serves almost as a watchdog um, to the two other key players in society. So I just wanted to make that point. Um, so the question I was going to bring up, Nifemi's oh, just come in. Just a minute, Dr. Amma. I want to just jump in very quickly because um, um, I heard Fabian say something initially when you talked about 
um, looking at philanthropy on a larger scale of systemic change. And I just want to bring this, perhaps it can, you know, better guide our conversation. There are those who believe, for instance, that philanthropy is merely a drop in the bucket. So every year, for instance, you know, U.S. foundations give away, I think it's about 40, $46 billion, you know, which of course is a lot of money. But when you consider that there are over $190 trillion circulating the global economy every single day, it puts it in a different perspective. Uh, so if the global economy, for instance, is constructed in such a way that it has little or no regard for social or environmental welfare, the, the, the relatively small amounts of philanthropy we have that we're just throwing at it remains grossly insufficient. So my question really is, if there is a sense to which we can begin to redefine philanthropy in such a way that it um, includes a business or let's say an economic model that is mainly geared towards social and environment welfare. So it's not about when um, um, a shanty goes on fire and they were trying to now bring charity to treat people right. What about we begin to now use our civil society to influence government policy in such a way that charity is at the center of our policies and it's at the center of our businesses. And, you know, because there are many wealthy people in the world today who just give out a minute percentage of their wealth to cater to the poor or to the hungry. But the the 98 or 99 percentage of their economy is being gotten from a place. I mean, they are the one causing the problem in the first place. Can we begin to redefine the concept of philanthropy in such a way that it will help people better? Because the way I see it from where I'm seated, it's not significantly solved any particular problem. Who disagrees with me? Well, I don't I agree with you. And <laughs> yeah, I disagree um, to be honest, with you. <laughs> I think we're we all going to disagree with you. And, yes. Um, the important thing that you have to understand is changing the language of the word philanthropy, which is what I mentioned at the very beginning. It has to be an intentional, impactful investment. And what you're going to find is businesses such as the businesses that I own and run, Africa Sustainable Trade, um, uh, allied empowerment, even Sterling One, which is um, part of an offshoot, or actually is the NGO end of the Sterling Bank, you have to begin to understand that when you look at your business mission, your business principles, by bringing in development, it means that the work that you're doing is going to impact not just you and your team, but the society in which you exist. And I'm going to have Pages speak to this because um, this is a, a, a larger entity that is doing this work and leading by example in so many ways. Um, we recently featured Sterling Bank in the article that we wrote for the London Chamber of Commerce, where we talked about their initiative in terms of renewable energy. But I will let her speak to some of the other things that they are doing as well. Peju, I'll turn it over to you. Thank and you. the other question Thank I was you, going Dr. to ask Peju, whilst you're at it, is perhaps you can also think about how do we measure impact? Because that becomes a huge question. Everybody measures impact 
in a unique way, but how do we measure impact when you're in this space of quote-unquote philanthropy, which is impact, intentional impact investment? Peju, I love Peju. Thank you very much, Dr. Ama, and thank you, Nifemi. What I agree with Nifemi on is the fact that there's need for investment philosophy when it comes to philanthropy. And um, impactful philanthropy has to be intentional and strategic. And to what Dr. Ama said, that is why I really, really like Sterling Bank's strategy. Sterling Bank has prioritized five sectors for business. And these sectors are called the heart sectors, health, education, agriculture, renewable energy, and transport. It's almost like um, what the regular NGO would prioritize, health, education, because the bank believes that these are critical sectors that need sustainable financing, not tokenism, which is what you find in many situations where um, a percentage, maybe 1% of the funds are channeled towards these areas. Um, you find a situation where um, a for-profit organization is putting its balance sheet behind these critical areas that need not tokenism, but financing that can provide profit. Because capital will always go to where there will be returns. And this is to further validate what Dr. Amar mentioned on investment. Capital will always go to where returns are guaranteed. So if you want more funding for social impact, if you want more funding targeted at supporting the achievement of the sustainable development goals, there has to be a model where some form of returns will come in. Then you get investors excited. Then the fundings don't have to be forced or begged for or lobbied for. They would come naturally. And this is one way that Sterling Bank has um, I would say has changed the business model for the African financial landscape where they have prioritized these sectors. So in Sterling Bank, you're not finding tokenism into these sectors. Yes, there are situations where you have humanitarian interventions, like the one that Lydia just mentioned, where you, you need to actually give out some funds for charity. But even in Lydia's example, she didn't give just charity, she gave 15,000 naira that has now turned to a sustainable source of income for the lady. So if the lady is able to guarantee, that is almost, that's about 30% returns on a daily basis. That's a fantastic business. I think I need to meet that woman. Yes. Because if it means that if she can get more, she can deliver more. So for Sterling Bank, that is what Sterling Bank has prioritized. And in that situation, um, charity is not an afterthought. It is part of the business strategy from the beginning. And it's going to be fantastic if more private sector organizations can think like that in their business strategy. You'll find more funding going into these critical sectors. Now for measurement. 
there will be there are different models for measuring as an investor i definitely will be looking at what is the return on investment um am i and for impact investment that's one thing we had at the deal at the africa social impact summit we had a deal room where we had different innovations i specifically i remember an innovation on biogas where you could get gas power uh, to power the different um, industries and that i i believe is one of the the solutions that would definitely get an investment from the africa social impact summit is one of the things that we also provision for at the summit where you could find innovations in these areas that need support and need financing that have um, the, 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 the probability to support and positively impact the lives of so many Africans, get the required funding and financing to scale. Measurement will be different for different stakeholders, doctor. So for an investor, I'm definitely looking at not just the return on investment when it comes to profit, but I'm also looking at the number of people that were positively impacted by the investment I have put into that solution. So you have uh, measuring on to, on different areas. I have had the opportunity to engage with different investors and there are different things they are looking out for. For some investors, they want to see how many people were employed. So they want to measure job creation from their investment. And, and I think um, from Lydia's example, I think as that woman's skills, she would definitely need one or two or three hands to join her. <laughs> and that in that case, we're looking at the creation of job. How is this investment sorted for the problem of unemployment in the country? That is an area of measurement. You find some people also measuring how many women have been empowered via their investment. In Lydia's example, we can have one woman but you don't know how many more women, as she scales, as she gets more investment, would be able there, to point there to are more. Many, there are several women. <laughs> there are several women. Several. <laughs> so that's that's another example. Thank you, Lydia, because some some investors are particular about supporting women. They're supporting. They're, they're particular about gender inequality, gender empowerment because of the ripple effects it can have on a child's education, on a child's nutrition, on a child's health over the long run. Um, I've mentioned too, for some other investors, they are looking at the reduction in greenhouse emissions. I'm not sure if Lydia's example would, would suffice for that because I don't know how she's powering has to, but then that is an example um, of so it, for what will be measured, it really depends on the investors. But if we're going to be looking at it from um, um, the global perspective, when you're talking about measuring the sustainable development goals, we'll be looking at number of out-of-school children that have been integrated back into school. For adventures, her children were out of school. Have they been added to the statistic of children that have been integrated back into the school? We're looking at it from the breakdown of the different targets of the 17 goals. Um, and that's just a general overview of the different ways that impact can be measured from impactful philanthropy. 
you know, if, thank you so much for that. And I just wanted to add very quickly, Africa Sustainable Trade, which I think all of you know, I am a co-founder of, you know, we have creatives and uh, what our focus is, is on renewable energy, clean energy, agriculture, food security, um, education, um, you know, everything down to financial instruments, because we know that it's important for women to have access. And for us, the way we're going to have to measure our outcome is, you know, what is the impact on trade within the continent and outside of the continent? What is the impact on job creation, on poverty elevation? Because if you can give people jobs, if you can educate and train people, then they will be able to take care of themselves. Um, what is the impact on youth and women? Women and youth are so critical, particularly in this part of the world. Um, the more you can impact them with the instruments they need um, to start a new micro business, which is where they usually go to be educated, um, to be creative, to look at some of the traditional avenues of revenue from fabric making, you know, textiles to sewing. All of this is important at the end of the day because it will improve their health. It will improve yeah. the quality of life. And that is very critical. So many organizations are really beginning to take into consideration the importance of development into the ethos of their business and using that to drive how they bring in and attract investors. Investors are no longer interested in just giving money. I mean, even the Bill Gates Foundation, it's not about giving money or we have so much money we can give. They want to see and measure the impact of those vaccines that they're producing to improve health, to improve livelihoods. That is very, very critical at this point in time. I know that we're running out of time. And before we go, perhaps we can all just take a minute to talk about some of the tools that we should be implementing um, in terms of um, sustainable development in, in our organizations or as individuals, because we're all stakeholders in, in, this, in this process. Just to be a bit more specific, since we are taking the last round, um, I like the fact that we've been able to establish in the course of this podcast that it's not just the money, right? Uh, because at the current rate, uh, simple maths points to the fact that it, it will take more than three centuries of philanthropy to close the SDG funding gap. But I'd like us to speak specifically to the conditions needed for philanthropy to thrive particularly in our client. For instance, the using of um, data to build transparency and inform decisions. I think it was Dr. Ama who mentioned that we're not a data keeping culture. Uh, the philanthropies isn't going to strive or isn't going to you know, thrive on that. The kinds of campaigns that we need to, to grow you know, and establish the culture of giving. Uh, what are those specific um, conditions that you think has worked for you uh, in your organization, or that can also be better improved as we wrap up? Well, you know, I will, I will say that the most important thing is an alignment, an alignment between the business focus, the business mission, and the developmental goal that they're taking on, that they're implementing so that so there is impact in the work that they're doing. There is impact in the um, production that they have, that there is impact within the community. Um, there's got to be planning, there's got to be proper assessment. Um, there's, there, you've got to have data gathering. If you don't have any data, then how do you plan ahead? How do you become strategic in the things that you do and the methods that you put into place? Um, 
collaboration is is key having partners i mean that is number 17 on the sdgs and it's the one that's got the green because everybody you have to collaborate you can't do it alone so collaboration is important engagement you have to engage your team as well as engage the community if there is no engagement it's going to fall flat people have to see the benefit of the investment for themselves for the team and for the um, society and i think most importantly because when you look at the sdgs it's voluminous right and i've always felt that it needs to be down to the benchmarks if you can figure out the benchmark that is achievable within your organization then you can begin to measure the impact that you are having within those benchmarks. You can't achieve all 17, but you can find interest within your organization in all 17, but you have to break it down. So if goal number five, equity is important, then what aspect of that do you want to address? If it's not uh, no poverty, what aspect of that do you want to um do you want to um, put together? But I think at the end of the day, the goal of philanthropy, which I I really want to change this to intentional, impactful investment. So the, the intention behind this is that we create a universally equitable um, global society that exists so that everybody can thrive. Everyone needs to thrive, not just the 1% or the 10% everyone and when you have that then you have a society that is moving together however their rate is but they're moving together and they can see these goals as beneficial for them and for all thank you i, love you. I think dr ama has summed it all up excellently well there's really not much to add um but what i would want to emphasize is prioritizing long-term sustainability over short-term goals. Um, she has spoken on data, she has spoken on community engagement, she has spoken on partnerships, she has spoken on intentionality, on focus, but now prioritizing long-term thinking, long-term sustainability over short-term goals. What that does for any investor is, it really takes away the mindset of tokenism because you're not just looking at the now, you're looking at over the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years, what impact will be. And what this also helps to do is it helps for the investor to set clear objectives. What, I, what do I wanna see in the next five years? What do I wanna see in the next 10 years? All this helps for intentionality in the investment. And back to what Dr. Ama has, has said. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Lydia, can we have your final thoughts on this, please? Well, thank you everyone for the contribution. For me, I would say that we can, you know, impute intentional education, you know, to, to, to our need for philanthropy. Because a lot of people do not realize how impactful it is. When we have a lot of people, a lot of youth and children out of school, they would most likely get into crime. Poverty is the easiest excuse to get into crime. And so even if you're on your high horse, in your gated house, you will come out one day. Or these people will get ladders to come into your house one day. Because that's the only way they know. You know. But when people realize that the impact goes round, 
where we, we have a safer society because we have youth that are gainfully employed, that are, you know, that are contributing their quota positively to nation building. We all gain, we all gain from it. We all gain from it. And no man is an island on their own. So from what we have, we, we have to share because everything we have, we have received. You know, a lot of a lot of us have been privileged to get proper education from because of our backgrounds or because some also showed, you know, um, extended philanthropy to us and gave us scholarship for education. That's why we're able to be separate from the rest. But for, for the, the other people, let us also stretch our hands back down to bring them up. Because in the end, we have less work on our hands, less security issues. We have people not dying of hunger or children not going to bed and thinking of how to steal. The other day, I saw a, a little child on the road, some person pushing a truck of water. The pure water fell from his truck. If you see the way this child, that is not up to 10 years old, if you see the way the child ran to pack this thing on the floor and run into her house, I was shocked. I had to go and call. I'm like, where's that girl? Where's that girl? Bring her. Because they were calling the person, the, the man that, that his um, goods fell on the floor. So they were calling his attention to see his goods. So he didn't even know. Meanwhile, a child was swift to pick what is not theirs. Pure water. Pure water. Packed. So that's to tell you that it's becoming an indoctrination. Theft is becoming an indoctrination. And one of the things why I engage children you know, in our project is because I believe that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. So when we're dealing with the youth and the women and parents, what we're doing is trying to repair the damage. Because some of these children learn how to steal from their parents because their parents have taught them that is the only way to survive. So how do we fix this? Get them back in school and all of that. Then have community engagement, you know, advocacy, education. Talk to people on the street, at the bus stops. Make films, make films that drive social impact and help people, you know, teach people the importance, you know, of, of giving and empathy and generosity. We need to just be more proactive and let them know the work that we're doing. And I am very guilty of it. When I was, I started this, when I started this, I didn't even start it with the, with the mindset of, oh, I want to have a foundation. I just wanted to just do a little bit of good here and there, call kids together you know, teach them leadership, personal and mental development and run away. And then people were telling me, so you do all these things for two weeks, one week, and you're not recording it. You're not putting it out there on social media. You can't do this alone. Who's going to help you? And I'm like, I just don't want to make noise about it. And they said, no, Lydia, this is beyond you. You're doing great. So put it out there. You know, and I'm not so, so it's, I know why people will say, when you do good, don't publicize it. When you look at it the other way, it is to encourage other people to follow suit. It is to teach other people how to. And to touch hearts is to, to, to create a cognition of emotion so people can be you know, touched and say, you know what, let me also extend to people. And when I teach them in my, in my foundation, I tell them everything you receive, you were given by somebody. So when you have, extend that too. Do not have that mindset of take, take, take. Have the mindset of, Thank you. you know, extending help as well thank you so much <laughs> thank you lydia we have to go to fabia and on to uncle p because uh, we've gone over time and we are recording live so um fabia your final um comments and then uh peter so we can uh, close the podcast thank you so much everyone
All right, thank you. And I know a lot has been said, and I want to, you know, just sort of carry on from where Lydia stopped, which is really the championing, um, in as much as we talk about the importance of, you know, big giving, social investments, corporate giving, and the role of, you know, corporate catalysts. Um, it's important to acknowledge the work of the NGOs and the CSOs who by their um, traditional ways of championing impact and um, sort of being at the center of this sector of philanthropy have had um, you know, a lot of impact um, in the space. So the ripple effect, as we've heard even from Lydia's story, is that the impact um, of one can have a massive ripple effect. And so I want to just continue to champion the roles of NGOs and CSOs in this space. Um, but indeed, what will move the space forward is more players uh, more corporate sector players who now, um, you know, I'm glad to say, understand that business is not usual, it's not business as usual, and provide the galvanizing and coordinating catalytic role. And I think that's where, um, you know, business plays and the idea of, you know, really making intentional social investments. But I do believe very strongly that all giving is intentional. Um, and, you know, there's a role for philanthropy at different levels. Um, in terms of, you know, what can we do Fabia, better? I so, think I'm so sorry. We're going to. I have to, to finish. I'm sorry, Lydia. Thank you so much. I, I have, have to finish. To. This is so important. Um, yeah, we, have we have to understand to that we must listen to our beneficiaries. Gathering data is important, and sharing stories of impact, and of course, collaborating to ensure sustained efforts. Thank you. Thank <laughs> very you so important much. to make my Peter, point. Thank what you. What would you like to say before we? Uh, okay, here. real quick. I have Thank three you. words impact education sustainability impact you give a woman in a world shop you 15,000 you've impacted her education if you tell her the money don't spend it in one day use it wisely you've educated her sustainability she starts trying and making money and so there's a ripple effect and also Absolutely. and also one more one more thing real quick philanthropy is not always about millions the children with this scholarship for was 2,000 naira. That's the price of a shawarma sandwich a child can go to school. Thank you. Thank Shout you. out to the work of Liver and so Whiskers and all the small NGOs that do so much great work. Shout out to them all. <laughs> Together, we'll go far. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Oh, thank you, Olag Beju from um, Sterling One Foundation. Thank you, Fabio, thank you um, for joining us today. Nifemi, as always, it's fantastic to be with you and to co-host um, Lydian. Thank you for the work that you're doing. You are making an impact thank no matter how small it is, it is important. And we're all here to have an impact. Um, and of course, thank you. to my co-producer, Peter, as always. Thank so, you. As go, thank you. I, I, I just want to leave us with this thought that our charity, you know, should evolve beyond being a corrective mechanism. And I think it was Alakwe Ju who talked about the fact that it's not an afterthought. Our charity shouldn't be an afterthought of our economic systems. We should learn how to treat people right from the get-go. We can't expect to solve social problems with philanthropy if the majority of our wealth is locked up in investments that fund the planet. And I'm hoping that that will guide every one of us who's into this investment, like Dr. Amas put it. I'm Nifemi Oguntoye. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm Dr. Thank Amma. You. Thank you for being with us. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. 
The executive producer is Dr. Amma. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoyen. Thinking Remarchant emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society. society.